Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello, old friend. Yes. How are you? I am fantastic. How are you doing? I'm, I'm all right, man. I'm uh, going on very little sleep these past three or four days, but... Uh, oh, no. What's not up? Hattie Mae related at all. She has been sleeping through the night like a dream and, and everything, uh, but um, my dad actually moved from uh, southeastern Pennsylvania out here to uh, Chicago, and uh, it's just been a whirlwind few days, kind of getting him moved in and settled and starting the unpacking and all that sort of stuff, so... Very uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Just, just not, not a ton of, not a ton of sleep. But uh, you know, life is good. Life is good. You've moved awesome. recently as well. Moved, yes. Uh, we uh, not, not moved across country. We have moved <laughs> uh, neighborhoods. Now we're probably just like a five minute drive from you now. Yeah, um, you're a lot closer. I, yeah, as you might well, be able to tell, the uh, yeah, we are. We're not. We don't have the office fully set up yet. So my the, the room that our office is in is very uh, much more loud. Than, than the old setup, so apologize for any audio quality that Sam is not able to fix in post production. Uh, but yeah, we're doing we're doing great. We're slowly unbearing ourselves from boxes. Uh, Harrison is a little bit under the weather Aww. today, so uh, Betsy's putting him to bed right now. But yeah. but yeah, that's life. But this week we're here to talk about a song for the soul. A song for the soul. Yes, we are. Uh, and this episode is directed by Michael Watkins, uh, a familiar a familiar name here uh, at Fate's Wide Wheel and Project Quantum Leap, as he has directed numerous episodes uh, of our favorite television program, including um, Unchained, Hurricane, Last Dance Before an Execution, and A Little Miracle. He'll also go on to direct Killin' Time, uh, which would be his last episode uh, and the very next episode after this one. Uh, Our writer is none other than the co-executive producer and writer and entertainer extraordinaire, Miss Deborah Pratt, um, who at the time, of course, was married to Don Belisario. We'll talk a little bit about that here. Yes, uh, we will. Yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, also interesting to note that she is a Chicago native, um, so she uh, is writing about where she knows as well as what she knows, which again, so we'll talk about. Um, of course, she also is is the most identifiable as the voice of Ziggy uh, and the narrator of our uh, um, opening credits. Jeez, yes. man, I'm already like, it's, <laughs> this is going to be rough. Yeah, I'll um, pull anyways, you uh, I'll, I'll is, be your anchor. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is, um, this is uh, just one of 20 episodes uh, that she would write, of course, for the series. Uh, other standouts would include... Um, Color of Truth, um, and So Help Me God, uh, we got Eight and a Half Months, Black on White on Fire, I mean, the list just goes on and on. We love yes. Deborah Pratt. 
Uh, she'll go on shortly after um, this to um, write Deliver Us from Evil, the trilogy episodes, and Revenge of the Evil Leaper, to name but a few, because there are more than that, but uh, those are certainly the ones I think worth, worth noting. Uh, our um, air date was February 26th, 1992. Leap date is April the 7th, 1963. Sam is left into Cherie. We never get a last name for Cherie, unfortunately. Uh, I don't the think we do. location yeah. is Chicago, Illinois. It is our, our, I consider it my hometown. Neither one of us are from Chicago, you and right. me, Sam, but I've been here for 13 years. I more or less consider it my hometown, so. Yeah, I think you can definitely say that. I, I've, I've been here for not quite seven years, and I certainly feel that way, so. Um, I mean, really, really, once you witness a guy pooping on the sidewalk outside the Daily Center, I think you just have to. <laughs> <laughs> You plant, you plant your flag yeah. in that pile of poop. All right. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to jump in here, uh, so uh, uh, worth noting, um, uh, this uh, episode had a rating 9.2 million viewers. Uh, well, let, let, it, it got quite a bit of promotional push. Um, you know, I remember that Scott Bakula was like uh, on Arsenio Hall. I mean, I honestly, mm-hmm. I don't remember that fact. But I do remember him being on Arsenio Hall. I just mm-hmm. remember from, from Matt's book, he writes about that. Um, and also, I, E! was doing a spot on them. I think Entertainment Tonight ran a bit about this particular... Uh, I mean, because this is, this is traditionally like sweeps period. Uh, and in oh, addition yeah. to that, the TV Guide um, ad for the episode like was like sure. a full page or something like that. And I, and I actually remember that specifically. So I remember it getting kind of a, a bit of a promotional push... Um, for whatever reason, because I don't necessarily think there's anything particularly special about this episode, but I can understand why it might have attracted a lot of viewers, because it seems like they were trying to get eyes on it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it definitely has Sam leaping into a Supreme, or, a, you know, equivalent of the Supreme. Right. Um, so, yes. Yeah. It, it, it had a lot of visually going for it as far as the Sweeps episode goes. For sure. Uh, but in other countries... Uh, this episode in Germany, it was called Singing at Any Price. All right. In France, it was called Song for a Troubled Soul. Oh. And in Italy, are you ready for this? Oh. Sam, are you ready for this? I don't know if I am. In Italy, this episode was called A Song for a Soul. <laughs> Man, oh, a song you really for the song for the because I don't yes. have the book in front of me, so I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> no, so so what's funny is in uh, Matt Dale's book, uh, it only has the, the the title in Italian. There was no English translation, and so I didn't know if there was a typo or what was up. So I, I, I took it and I copied it into Google Translate, and it's just called a song for the soul. All right, then there yeah. you have it. So, yeah, so Sam uh, leaps in. It's April 7, 1963. This is something we've gotten away from I want to get back to. Where has Sam most recently been in time? Ooh, nice. Uh, yeah. Last episode, he was in Last Gunfighter, obviously. Uh, but if we're looking at it chronologically, uh, most recently, uh, he was in March of 1963 in Season 2's Maybe Baby. Which is also very funny because in that particular episode, uh, my boyfriend back, my boyfriend's back was used in the soundtrack for that episode, and it's used again here. That and in is. both of instances, it was diegetic, and in both of those instances, a character is singing the song 
Uh, although in this one, of course, there is no recording to sing along with, but in Maybe Baby, they were singing along with the recording. With, with, the, rec- with the version, yes. Yeah. And then uh, after this, we will next see Sam in April, uh, just three days later, April 10th, 1963, in uh, one of the segments of Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, I do believe this is the segment where, where he tries to assassinate General Walker. Man. All right. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, spring in 1963 is a, is a busy time for Dr. Yeah. Sam Beckett. Uh, so let's read the TV Guide description. Sam, Scott Bakula, shimmies as a member of a three-girl singing group, and he must stop, parentheses, in the name of love. Oh, God. And parentheses, a singing mate from forming a serious rift with her father. Yes, yes, that is that is indeed true. TV guide. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so Sam leaps in. They are uh, uh, the the trio is just ending. My mm-hmm. boyfriend's back, and uh, they walk off stage. And in the process of walking off stage, Sam bangs his head on one of the stage lights. Uh, They get pulled back out for an encore. Sam has just long enough to look in the mirror and see who he has leaped into. He tries to resist. They pull him out. He gets an oh boy into the mirror. And off we go to the theme song. Yeah. Uh, One of the notes that I made, I actually really enjoyed this this leap in because two two things. One, um, I, I think that there is a great sense of Sam not being he's how do I want to say this he's not as uh, confused it would seem about uh, everything that's going on it, he he's he's very much in that sort of like workmanlike nature of, of leaping that we've talked about before where it's like who am I where am I what am I doing What's going on? You know, yes, he bumps his head. He's a little out of it there. It's but there's less shock over the fact that, like, you know, it's like, oh my god, I'm a black woman or, or whatever. Whereas in early seasons, I feel like that would have been played up more. You know, you look at Color of Truth, and it's like, you know, when he sees Jesse Tyler's reflection, it's like, oh, you know, it's like I'm a black man. You know, when, when it's what what's Price Gloria, it's like, oh my god, I'm a woman. Whereas in this, it's very much more just sort of matter of fact, like, okay, this is who I am. This is where I am. And then it's not until they pull him back on stage and he has to sing. And he's like, I don't know what I'm singing. I don't know when we are or any of that sort of stuff. That's when he's like, oh, boy. So it has less to do with the fact that he sees Cherie in the mirror and more to do with the fact that, like, I've got to go sing and I have no idea what's going to happen next. Sure. Absolutely. So I dug and, that. It's, and even, uh, you know, you talk about the workman nature, like, even though he's making an ass of himself, like, he's still doing his best. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's doing his best with what he's got. Yeah. Looking yeah. at his two trios. Uh, and this is something that I uh, that I hadn't thought of, and I uh, this was pointed out in Matt's book. A thing that they never really, really explore in, in any of the episodes is the height differential between Sam and the person that he's leaped into. Yeah. And so it's pointed out that Cherie would have never hit her head right. on the stage light because she's too tall because she's too short. Right. And it's noticed by one of her by one of her singing mates that she hits her head on the light. And yeah. there's just this weirdness to it. 
Yeah, well, and it's also interesting because, and this to me seems like it has to be kind of almost filed into the category of goofs, and I think Matt even does put that in, in his book, but one of the, the street guys, uh, uh, the harassers, ends up saying something to her along the lines of, like, or Sam rather, along the lines of, like, you're a tall one, aren't you? And, uh, and, and again, that's the type of thing that he probably, you know, he wouldn't really have noticed, and Cherie herself is not tall, so it, it's it's interesting that um, that that gets pointed out, and who knows, maybe that was an, a bit of ad lib dialogue or something that they that they said to keep in. But the you know the hitting the head on the light fixture goes along with a lot of what we learn, in particular over the next season about Sam's leaps and about the fact that you know his physical body is there. Um, so it would be possible for him to hit his head like that, in spite of the fact that Cherie is shorter. Um, of course, that throws up all sorts of questions of like how do the clothes fit, how do they, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I, I can never really, yeah, I can't, I don't really have any good explanation for why the, why the clothes still fit. But right. here's my fan wink why the guy on the street may have said, you're still tall. Because okay. I think Sam is just surrounded by the aura of the person that he's replaced. Yeah. I think it's one of those, I can't remember the name of the, um, of, of the myth of the story or the idea that you look at something that's so incomprehensible you can't even see it. So you mm. just see what you think you see. Sure. And so I think sometimes in cases, it's like on some weird subconscious level, maybe sometimes people can see Sam for who he is or maybe just register like, oh, he's taller. Because like this guy is not looking down at Cherie's level. He's looking up at Sam's eye level. Right. So at some level, no pun intended, at <laughs> some level, he has to sense Sam in some way. Right, well, because it's also... There, that, there's my fan wake. No, 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 I, I, and I think that it also... That honestly goes along with why people are always looking Sam in the eyes, you know? Um, and and, and, and it, it, we could just sit here and easily say, oh, well, it's just because that's the logistics of, you know, acting with this actor and how they made the show. It's kind of like... You know, Star Trek's Universal Translator. Every time we see these people speaking, their lips are moving uh, as though they were speaking the the English language and and whatever's supposed to be coming out of their mouth based on the script. But if we kind of turn on our our suspension of disbelief here, then we really would know that their lips would not be moving uh, in, in sync with English language. They would actually be moving completely out of sync. It's just that the person would be hearing them speaking whatever their native language is. So it's kind of like one of those odd little things that we have to do sometimes anytime we're we're engaging with a piece of, you know, fiction like this. Uh, It's like going back and watching a movie from, um, you know, the 80s or 90s, early 90s, that has some sort of CGI and comparing it to today. It's like, wow, that looks nothing like reality or what we, you know, take today as being real. Um, and yet, at the time, you, you just went with it. Yeah. Um, well, this speaks somewhat. And uh, so last night, Betsy and I watched this episode as we were putting together uh, some new furniture for, for Harrison moving into the new space. And after this episode, we jumped ahead to the fifth season and we watched Nowhere to Run. Oh, uh, interesting. The, the episode where Sam uh, leaps into uh, the, the, w, the, the double amputee. And so when it got to that point in the episode where Sam gets up out of the chair, like Betsy gave a confused look and we were talking about how um, I had to remind Betsy that, yes, his body is physically there. So even right. though his leapy doesn't have legs, he can get up and walk. Um, 
and we've talked about this before. It makes sense for the TV version of the show, right? For Sam's body to physically be there because it just fits best for the TV convention, especially on the budget that it had at the time. Um, in the novels, a lot of the novels cheat and have Sam's mind leaps, and yeah. I think it works better. And it's a, yeah, it's just a it's a thing you have to fudge and, and not think too hard about. Right, right. Well, and the thing is, is that in the in the novels. Um Aren't there? I think I know that there's at least one, but I'm thinking that there might have even been another. And I know that there we've got an episode or two, obviously like Kamikaze Kid uh, and, and the other one that I, I can't think of the title right now, where he leaps into a kid, for instance, and he's you know he is someone younger who's probably smaller and, and slighter of build um, than than Sam actually is. Uh, but yeah, there's no there's never any question. Uh, when when a parent hugs him or a friend is is roughhousing with him or something like that, a sibling is, is is roughhousing with him. There's never any sort of, oh that's weird. You you feel bigger or you you know you something's off about this. And um, maybe it is a little. I don't know if this is what you were looking for earlier, but it just popped into my head. But it, maybe it is kind of almost like a confirmation bias where yes, it's like sure. you, you you just you you think that something is going to be a certain way and so it, you just naturally believe that it is that way regardless of whatever the facts might be. Absolutely. Um, and I I go back and forth myself. I, I, I remember reading the novels when I was in junior high and kind of uh, accepting that it was his, you know, it was his mind, it was his soul kind of leaping or whatever. And I'll never forget um, going back to the show uh, around that same time, you know, junior high, high school, and watching Trilogy. And, you know, when Sammy Joe is talked about uh, towards the end of, uh, of the, the trilogy, and, and it just kind of dawning on me in a way that it hadn't before, um, that, like, oh, man, like, it's, it, it is actually him. Um, and, I, and I think you're right. I think for the purposes of TV and for what we're seeing and for, you know, kind of using some of these... Uh, um, Conceits with him being able to walk in spite of not having any legs, or you know him bumping his head, for instance, in this episode, or of course being able to conceive a child and all this sort of stuff. It makes a lot of sense uh, mm-hmm. on the page. It unless you were to go with a specific instance like that story-wise, it, you, you don't need it as much. So um, I imagine that's something we'll we'll continue to talk about because obviously the nowhere to run is is, is coming up. Trilogy is coming up. You know we'll talk a little about a, a bit about the novels as well. So. Uh, there's certainly opportunity to talk more at length about that. Yes, yes. But Especially, in the interest yeah. of time. Yeah, <laughs> in the interest of time. Let's, so maybe this is a good time to uh, meet uh, some of our some of our cast. Let's do um, it. So uh, our main guest star is Tammy Townsend. That's right. As Tammy Lynn Townsend. Al Walters. Who, yes. Um, yeah, Tammy has uh, actually been working um, in in television for uh, I mean thirty five years. She started when she was fourteen years old, which would have been nineteen eighty four. So she'd already been working um, for about eight years by the time this episode rolled around. Uh, she's done I, I mean just a ton of stuff. Uh, she had um, a stint on Days of Our Lives um, in the mid nineties. 
She also was in a number of television shows, um, you know, Heat of the Night, uh, Different Strokes, Charles in Charge, um, The Wayans Brothers. Uh, she was also, Dennis, you pointed this out earlier uh, in an episode, not just an episode, but the pilot episode uh, of a television show that I'm a big fan of and I think that you are, are becoming a big fan of, um, which is... The Practice, yes. We were talking about this off mic, not to confuse anyone. Um, but yes, I, I've jumped back and I'm watching uh, the pilot episode of The Practice. She's in there. Uh, James Green, who plays opposing counsel in the third part of Trilogy. Uh, he's in that episode as well. And uh, uh, Kent... Uh, no, 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 no. What's uh, who? Uh, James Handy, who plays Ross, the murderer in Temptation Eyes. He is also. All three of those actors are in the pilot episode of The Practice. Yeah, um, which is which is a great great series. I, I, I think that uh, it's definitely worth a, a watch. Uh, and then, of course, the spinoff show Boston Legal is probably one of my favorite. Uh, shows, so I, I would certainly encourage people to check that out. You can find it on Amazon Prime, actually. Yes. Um, she would also. This show go, is not sponsored by Amazon Prime. Goddamn! If only we but, were. But it um, could be. We <laughs> could be. That's right. <laughs> but it could be. Uh, she also did a stint, uh, believe it or not, on Family Matters uh, and uh, a few episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, she was in an episode of Friends playing the teacher. Uh, the reason why I remember that is because uh, Ross's son went to school uh, at the same went to the same school as Sting's son, and uh, and Tammy Townsend played the teacher in the class that the, that they were in. Um, she also did uh, a spot on Jag. So bringing her right back around sure. to Belisario and those productions. Uh, but a lot of stuff working all the way up until today. Um, she has, a, it looks like a movie in pre-production, uh, a TV series, probably a pilot or something that is, uh, has wrapped and is now in, in post-production. Um, so lots, lots of stuff um, for Tammy Townsend right up until this day. She's, um, yeah. Yeah. Worked. Worked, also, worked, 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 worked. Yes, yeah. Also playing Paula is, I do apologize if I, if I pronounce this name wrong, uh, Takaya Crystal Kema? I think that's right. Okay. I think that's right. Uh, yeah, no uh, Yeah. No disrespect to, to, to Takaya. Uh, she was also, she was on In Living Color at the time. That's right. She was, uh, and, and, and not just, you know, on it. I mean, she was pretty embedded in the show, uh, was on 140 episodes. Um, there for the full, you know, pretty much 11 year run. Um, and it's funny because there's a, a story in Matt's book that she told, um, at the, um, convention where, uh, apparently she told her agent that she wanted to do more, uh, and, you know, the agent almost, uh, said no and then she threatened to fire the agent and so the agent was like okay okay we'll find something else for you and apparently she was a fan of quantum leap and this you know episode this opportunity came up and it was sort of like perfect timing for her because uh it was again it was right around the time when she really wanted to start to branch out a bit but she did indeed stay with in living color throughout the entirety of its run so sure um pretty yeah. pretty cool and then we have uh, we're going to see her mirror image here in a few minutes but uh, tiffany jameson plays the the reflection of uh, of Cherie, you're right. We don't get any any last name for her. Uh, this is her only credit on IMDb. Cherie has no parents at home to speak of, yeah. and 
Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and my only thought about that was like it was a it was a simple writing convenience to not have to deal with Cherie's parents. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's interesting. You have 47 minutes. <laughs> exactly. And I think that the, one of the things that's interesting about this episode uh, and it, on uh, the message boards on Al's place, um, uh, there were some people that were talking, almost complaining about, you know, Sam not Scott Bakula not doing more singing, for instance, or, you know, Scott not being kind of front and center. And the truth of the matter is that of a lot of leaps, this is definitely one of those leaps that is very much not really about Sam's character that he's leapt into at all. Um, no, and I, I mean, it, it's definitely not one of those cases where it feels like the leap is happening to him. He's not happening to the leap. I mean, I think that it's still one where he is affecting some sort of change, but his character is not front and center in any way, shape or form. This is very much about Linnell and her father, Reverend Walters. And, uh, I, and, and I think not every episode, but not to interrupt you, but uh, Deborah Pratt does a really good job of doing episodes like that, where, the story is not about Sam's journey. Like Sam is just the conduit to tell somebody else's story. Yeah. Bl- black on white on fire. When we covered that episode, we talked about like that could have just been an hour of television. Right. Outside of quantum leap. And Sam and Al almost seem shoehorned into that story. I agree. And I think, you know, I think that's a really good observation because I think that that's something that you could say about a lot of her episodes is that they feel more like an hour of television uh, as opposed to an episode of Quantum Leap. And I mean that in a very good way. Yeah. She has a she has a way of playing with, you know, the convention of Quantum Leap um, to help tell these stories that don't have to be Quantum Leap episodes in order to be told. And yet. Are, are still very much an episode of, you know, our favorite TV show. <laughs> yeah. And, I'm, I'm, and I feel like there were a lot of first season episodes that did that more. And this thought, I'm just going to throw this out there. Maybe not a popular opinion, maybe incendiary. I don't care. I think <laughs> Quantum Leap, I love Quantum Leap. We have a podcast. I was going to say, you don't have to defend your love of Quantum Leap. <laughs> I, I love Quantum Leap. But... I think Quantum Leap would have been a better show if Donald Belisario had created it and let Pratt had more creative control of the show. Oh, I would completely agree with that. I think we would have more episodes like this where Sam and Al were just there to be, uh, this analogy doesn't work 100%, to be like the Rod Serlings. Mm Mm-hmm to introduce us to this world for an hour before moving on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I you know, I, I mean, certainly there are episodes where it benefits from having things be a little bit more about Sam or Sam's relationship with certain characters. Um, you know, even thinking about an episode like another mother, um, I think is an important episode that, you know, Sam does not necessarily, take the spotlight as the main character, if you will. It's still Mm -hmm. about other people, which, I mean, I would certainly argue that most episodes of Quantum Leap are actually about the people that he's interacting with and less about Sam. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I think that you're right. Um, 
thinking about, you know, this episode and comparing it to, you know, I think what I can say is one of our favorites of, of the series, Thou Shalt Not, is that both of those episodes deal with grief. They both deal with sort of a, kind of a fractured relationship between family members. Um, I think they do it in very different ways, and I'd certainly argue that Thou Shalt Not ends up being much more successful and much more honest and genuine in its portrayal of that. But uh, both of the episodes, I think, are much more about these other people, and, and, and it's more a question of, like, how does Sam uh, relate to these people and affect these people? Uh, and one of the things that's really interesting about this episode, in my opinion, is that Sam, and, and I, I don't think that this is just a case of getting the job done. I think it's a genuine thing about him, which, of course, makes him, I think, one of the more endearing and, and, and wonderful characters in television, is that he becomes very invested with these people uh, emotionally, and he connects with Linnell and, and the Reverend and, and, and in a very genuine, honest way. Uh, and I think that that, that really helps uh, this episode a great deal. Absolutely. Speaking of the Reverend, shall we move on to uh, to Mr. Harrison Page? Oh, Harrison Page. Yes, yes, we shall. And and was he? I, did he win? Uh, he he I think was, he was just he nominated. Was nominated for this episode. Yeah. Yes. Um, and he uh, is another guy who has had uh, a very you know lengthy career, still working um, to this day. Uh, and, you know, he, he started back in um, the late 60s, uh, was actually on an episode of Bonanza. Yeah. I actually hum that every time Hattie rides her little rocking horse. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so he also did uh, the film Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which amused me. Uh, but lots of, you know, lots of television, uh, some film here and there as well. Um a film that I recognized him from almost to my shame, and yet not because I just can't help but love. Life is short. Love what you love. Right, exactly. Uh, he played a character in a Jean Claude Van Damme film by the name of Lionheart, and his character's name was Joshua. And he is obviously by far the best thing about the film. Um, and, and and I still just the, the, I have a soft spot for the film. Van Damme plays like a a guy in the French Foreign Legion whose brother gets into like a bad drug deal and you know gets murdered by these guys. And he the, the weird thing about it is you'd think that the whole point of this is he's going to go back and get like revenge for his brother, but instead, and it's kind of gives the the movie its heart. He actually goes to America in order to help provide for his brother's family, his widow and, and his daughter. Um, and in doing so, of course, he ends up taking part in like this illegal underground fighting circuit, and that's how he makes money for them because it's a Van Damme film. But uh, <laughs> but Harrison Page is is actually quite wonderful uh, in in the movie. He plays like this you know old broken down Vietnam vet who almost is on the verge of like being homeless, but he kind of ends up becoming like. Uh, Van Damme's agent, uh, but he, but you know, he cares about him. He doesn't. He's not just seeing him as like a, a tool to to go out there and make money for him. He actually cares about the guy. Anyway, yeah. I, I recognized him from that, and it took me for a second because I was like, "No way!" Is that it is? And it, it, the interesting thing is, he looks younger in this episode of Quantum Leap than he does in Lionheart, which was actually filmed like two or three years 
before a couple years episode. before. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, we, I, another guy with just a huge, a huge list uh, uh, of credits to his name, including uh, a stint on Ally McBeal uh, playing another reverend, uh, Mark Newman. Uh, he also had a 22-episode stint on JAG, um, so he would be reunited with the Belisario crew on that. Um, did a stint on ER, which is, is worth mentioning because um, of our next Eric guest LaSalle, actor. Yeah. Uh, Eric LaSalle is Bobby Lee, um, which obviously I think we can just say ER and, and, and move on. Not that he's yeah. not done a lot of other <laughs> wonderful things, but let's face it, he was, you know, he was on ER for like 15 years. So yes, yeah, that's what he was. Yeah. Um, also of note, another Chicago connection: uh, the the spring or the year after this episode of Quantum Leap aired, uh, Eric won a uh, Jeff uh, a Jeff Award. Which, if you're not in Chicago, Jeff is basically the Chicago equivalent of the Tonys. Uh, Eric won a Jeff Award. For his performance in a play at the Goodman Theater, which is one nice. of the most prominent theaters here in Chicago. I mean, hell, you could just say one of the most prominent theaters, period. I mean, that's, that's fair. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so back to Harrison Page. We love Harrison Page, and you know who loves his character, the Reverend? Oh, boy. Who? Sam. That's right. Yes. He does, and he tells us that right away. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and the voiceover uh, when, it, when, they, when they get pulled up into uh, when they get pulled up into the house, yeah. uh, basically Sam and his voiceover says that that the Reverend was saying all the things that he had been wanting to say to these girls since since he leaped in about it's being out late. <coughs> it's interesting. I have a question. Do you do we do we take do we take any of Sam's overprotectiveness of the girls as being any sort of misogyny, or do we just are we just writing it off as? Chivalry and, and, and moving on. You know, here's the thing. Uh, at first glance, I question that. Yeah. And at first glance, I thought it was a little bit misogyny. Yeah. But what we need to remember is that these girls are 15 and 16 years old. Yeah. They look, the actors look much older than that. Because, like, realistically, and probably what they were when they played, like, they're probably like late teens, early 20s. Yeah. Well, I mean, Tammy Townsend was 21, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when, when you think 15, 16 years old, then they might like, like, no, they're kids. Right. And, 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 and no way can you, and can you justify like kids that age being out in Chicago at three o'clock in the morning out by themselves? Yeah. No. Yeah. No, that's 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 a very very good point. Yeah. Um, so this uh, so this scene has a goof. I posted about this on the yeah. uh, on the Face Wide Wheel page, uh, and it's in Matt's book, and it's pretty obvious if you know to look for it. As the camera pans past the girls and Scott Bakula, Scott starts to step out of frame just a split second too soon to make room for uh, Tiffany Jameson playing the mirror image. And you see Scott Bakula duck out of the frame real quick so she can jump in. And you also see in the mirror image behind the father's head, you can actually kind of see Sam's head as well. Are you serious? Yeah. 
Oh. It's just like the top of his hair. You basically see the top of his hair. And I and the funny thing is, is when you first posted on Facebook about that, that's what I saw. And so that's what I thought you were talking about. And then when I rewatched it, because you posted kind of a wider view of it to get a better look of it sure, as yeah. a response. And I and then I caught that and I was like, oh, it's both. It's it's and oh. you know, the interesting thing is, is because we've talked before about how they accomplish some of the mirror images. It's actually kind of cool to see. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and again, to cut the show a break at the right. time they filmed the show, they thought people would watch it once, maybe see it in reruns. No one thought that they would actually be. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Tearing it apart. No, yeah, no one, no one thought that you know, twenty five years later, that somebody was going to be sitting around in their basement talking about it into a microphone and sending it out to the internet for you know seventy people to listen to. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's no, fair. we get more downloads than that. We did. sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. Hey, you know, we have a small niche quality audience. I was going to say, uh, I never expected to, you know. Yeah, we have. I didn't, I, I didn't I, think I, we were going to be Mark Marin or anything. I wasn't expecting, <laughs> yeah, to blow up from this. Uh, we're no Quantum Leap podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, but you know what? Neither are they. So oh. neither. Oh, oh, you know, you know, they've started doing. They've started doing more regular shows. Oh, now, good, actually. good, yeah. good for yeah. them. I, I clearly, I've been paying attention. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> we would admit. Uh, so yeah, so now let's move on because uh, mm-hmm. pretty soon after this, we we meet the actual Eric LaSalle. Yes. Interesting to note uh, in 1992 in this episode, Eric he was going by Eric with a C. Now he oh. goes by Eric with a Q. That's right. Yeah. I didn't um, even think about that. And and LaSalle is two words now instead of one word. Right. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, like you said, we can just say ER, and that's yeah. which you know. I mean, let's face it; that is almost a disservice because it, the, the guy does have a very long list of credits and some really you know fun, interesting stuff uh, besides ER. But uh, clearly, ER was the bulk of of his career. I mean, he was on the show for you know fifteen years, almost the entirety of the nineties and, and the two thousands, and he played the character of Peter Bitten for 171 episodes uh, of television. And he did leave the show in, like, 2002, um, um, but he came back for the uh, for the finale and, and a few other episodes in the last season, I believe. But, um, but yeah, he's done a lot of other things since then, um, and most recently was actually seen in the film Logan, um, which if anyone else is, you know, writing the superhero film... Uh, wave that you cannot escape and have not been able to escape for at least the past 10 or 12 years, uh, you should certainly know that Logan is probably one of the finest pieces of cinema to come out of any of the superhero films, uh, and I would certainly encourage people to go check it out. Which, of course, it also stars Patrick Stewart, who played you know Jean-Luc Picard, and since we are a Star Trek podcast, I feel like it's worth mentioning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, one, you know, one thing I do want to go back and say about Harrison Page is that you get the sense, even from this very first scene, um, about the, the the just the the depth that he brings to the character. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in that first scene, there's some stern moments, there's some more tender moments, there's you know just a really nice range displayed um, by the the actor, and I think that it would be very very easy, especially in 
a television show guest spot to come in and just play the character with a bunch of bluster and, you know, be the overbearing, domineering dad who happens to be a reverend. And, you know, Harrison Page doesn't do that. He, he really comes in and makes this guy a real human being. And you can tell that he, you know, bears the weight of, 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 of being a widower, um, of raising this daughter as a single parent. And, and I think he does a really commendable job. And it's, it's clear that he, you know, for whatever it's worth, dog and pony show politics whatever he really earns that Emmy nomination so um and it's it's a good performance yeah and maybe this is a good time to shift into like we were talking off mic before recording like this is not an episode where like we we really feel it necessary to go plot point by plot point uh but just hit like some like major points and uh you you know talk about the relationships and the overall thread of the story yeah but he is such a complicated character because he obviously loves his daughter, but then there's the whole scene where um, uh, where Lionel tells Sam that, that that basically like her mom decided to die out of depression just because uh, because their relationship, their marriage was so was so smothering. Yeah, um, you know there. <clears throat> excuse me. There, like, there is one point in the episode where he raises his hand and he is almost about to strike her. Yeah. Uh, before before he pulls himself back, and uh, not yes, a very a very complicated character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting because. Uh, kind of in the spirit of jumping around and not going plot by point by plot point. Um, this Pratt, end of the podcast, Sam, represents the beginning. The <laughs> other end of this podcast, <laughs> tie the moments together. Um, <laughs> anyway. But I, yeah. Uh, it's the string theory of podcasts. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> One of the things that Deborah Pratt divulged at the uh, Leap Back convention in 2009 was that this episode was written apparently in three days. And if I'm being completely honest, in some ways it shows. Uh, In other ways, however, I think that it is a very strong piece of writing. Um, you know, some of the scenes, uh, most of the scenes, frankly, are these small, intimate moments that really only involve you know, a maximum of two to three speaking characters at once to the point where it almost feels like a play. Um, yeah. There are a couple of scenes specifically. There's one between um, Linnell and Cherie slash Sam where they're, you know, on the stairs talking. And then Linnell, like, walks down the stairs and almost delivers this monologue, like, straight out to, you know, to, to the audience, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. She's not looking at the camera, but it's very theatrical. Uh, and then later on, the scene is almost mirrored um, with the reverend at the church talking to um, uh, his dead wife, uh, Sylvia. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really, so there are, there are elements of it that just, yeah, like I said, feel very theatrical. It feels like it could almost be a play uh, just because of the number of characters, speaking characters in, in any one scene at any one time. Um, I would argue that it kind of falls apart a little bit at the end. Um, but that's just me. I think that it takes some interesting twists and turns that are, you know, not the standard paint-by-numbers quantum leap, um, which I'm not saying that as a knock to other episodes that exist in that paint-by-numbers because there's something 
commendable about that, you know, existing kind of within a framework and being able to tell a great story. Um, and this episode, I think, kind of dips out of that on a couple of occasions. But, um, yeah, it, it, the, the script is interesting in that respect, and I think that it serves, you know, our characters very well up until maybe the last couple of moments. Um, See, this is... Yeah, we were talking about this off mic beforehand. The, the thing that I appreciate about this episode probably the most is that I think because it was written in three days and it didn't seem like it went through a lot of drafts, like not just like any episode of Quantum Leap, but most episode of TVs, like they follow this this kind of template, like the structure, like da 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 you know, conflict, blah blah blah, come together, uh climax, probably a big a big fight, a little pat resolution, because most episodes of Quantum Leap get that. I like that this episode is kind of all over the place and it does not follow that template. So I like that when the episode ends, like we don't, um, as satisfying as it would have been, we don't see Bobby get his. Right. You know, yeah. we don't know whether or not if Lionel gets stardom. Right. We don't know what happens to her and her dad's relationship ultimately. No, we really don't. And and again, that's one of the reasons too why I kind of name check Thou Shalt Not earlier because I feel like it's similar in that respect. You know, we kind of see the family come together there um, in the cemetery, but we don't know what happens next. You know, we mm-hmm. don't know exactly what the resolution is. They, there's still a lot of work to be done in that family, and you get the same yeah. sense in this episode. There's still a lot of work between Reverend Walters and his daughter to be done. Um, I, I, I think that, I kind of mentioned this before, that the way that uh, Sylvia, you know, the, the, the deceased mother, um, looms over the proceedings in this episode uh, is, is, is another element that's very well done and also, again, kind of feels a bit theatrical because uh, I've mentioned this, I think, maybe once or twice before, uh, something that really kind of stuck with me during my um, university days uh, and a playwriting class that I took um, had to do with the fact that, you know, you read a script and you list all the characters in the play. And I had this professor who oftentimes he, would, he wouldn't give you real instructions. He would just say, do this, and, and, and not give you any extra information. And so naturally, all of us being freshmen students in the theater department, we just write down the names of all the characters listed in the front of the play. And then he tells us, of course, that we're all completely wrong, um, that we left characters out, and that the characters of equal importance are the characters who aren't actually in the play but are talked about yes. um, and mentioned. And, and this is a wonderful example of that, where Sylvia it clearly it has a very large presence in this episode, in spite of not actually being um, you know, physically present. We see a picture of her, but that's, you know, that's all we ever get as far as any sort of physical representation. Otherwise, she's only uh, talked about. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to take a little diversion off relationships. This is a relationship we all have through the entire series, us viewers. The house. (laughs) Tell me about the house, Dennis. The house is the set that we see always. It's one of the sets. (laughs) Especially the set that jumped out to me, uh, the the very heartfelt scene between Sam and Lionel on the staircase. Yeah. That is the very same same staircase that uh, uh, Sam... And the mom sit at the bottom of, and and have a heart to heart during killing time. And it's also where Sam sits across from Sammy Joe in the third part of the trilogy, and Al drops on Sam 
that Sammy Joe is his daughter. Man. Same staircase. Wow. Wow. Staircase got a lot of action through the years. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's uh, 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 yeah. Let me let's talk about the serious stuff, and then we'll get to the fun stuff. Uh, Bobby Lee. Bobby Lee, the Me Too poster boy of the episode. Oh, my God. Oh, the th- This is one of those things, like, when I watched this episode as a kid, like, I got the kind of creepiness of, right. of, of Bobby going after Lionel. And to be honest, I probably hasn't, I haven't watched this episode in over 15 years. Same here. Um, watching this episode again, it really clicking how creepy this is. Well, Flat yeah. out predator Al, going after, yeah. And when Al divulges the fact that he uh, went to prison for statutory rape for a 13-year-old girl, and it's like, it, it, I, I, I mean, come on. Like, this guy, this guy is awful. Mm-hmm. Just a awful, awful, yeah. awful and, person. And it's because, like, it's, it's kind of implied that his club is really almost kind of like an underground thing, like serving as his brothel, because he has a pimp. Yep. And so at one point, like, when you know, as they go through the episode, and, 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 and Sam and Al keep talking about what they're going to do, when Betsy and I were watching it last night, Betsy just kind of lost her pace, and she's like, tell them it's a brothel. Right. <laughs> just be honest. Yeah. Don't pussyfoot around. Yeah. Just tell Lionel the truth. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting because like at no point do we ever get any sort of sense that Lionel or Paula or or Cherie prior to, you know, Sam leaping in have any interest in this fella at all other than the fact that he runs this club. Sure, you, you know, and which I think is 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 good. I mean, the episode's the better for it. Um, but he, when he comes in and brings the record with Heat Wave, mm-hmm. and I mean, right away, you know, the way that he's looking at the girls, the way that he's touching uh, uh, Linnell, the way that he uh, tries to touch Sam um, and, and gets his hand batted away. Um, it's I, I I mean this guy is a predator without a doubt, and he uses his position as this you know nightclub slash brothel owner um, in order to to snag um, these young girls. Uh, I almost said young women, and I mean honestly, I I hesitate mm-hmm. to even say that. I mean they're girls. Sure. Yeah. I mean thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I mean that. Yeah. So. Uh, he immediately exudes that. Mm-hmm. But when we see it in full force at the club after the rehearsal, yeah. I mean, it is disturbing. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's really, I mean, they, they, they do insert a moment of comedy in there by having like Al try to insert himself and oh, as a hologram right. and whatever. Uh, yeah, um. and then he's got those lines. Those you know, the, the two things that really stood out to me after uh, he gets pulled off uh, of Linnell when he says, "You know, I wasn't doing anything she didn't want me to." Yeah, um, which of course is you know standard playbook uh, for, for these sorts of fellas. Uh, and then 
in in what is probably one of the more insidious things that we often hear about you know these type of men these type of predators uh is that he wants he expects an apology oh yeah you know you apologize to me oh, yeah. if you Total. want what i've got then you have to you have to realize you were in the wrong and it's just Total, Man. total power play, and I and I will to, to to kind of shift away from that and get to one of the things I love about this episode is that Sam has to be morally ambiguous or or let his morals down for a little bit, yeah. and he has to apologize yep. to move things forward. Which I can see in another version of this episode if it was written or somebody else got their hands on the script, like. You know, putting in some voiceover machismo about Sam wanting to knock him out. Right. You know, kind of similar to uh, how he reacted to Buddy and What Price Gloria. And it's, uh, yeah, there, there, there's something really interesting about it, um, watching Sam make the decision to put his morals aside briefly to apologize to, to Eric, just to, or to Bobby, to get things moving along. Yeah, well, you know the, the interesting thing is, is he does he doesn't actually apologize. He never says I'm sorry. He says, uh, you know, he basically says, "Will you please let us play? We really want to play your club." Right. Really, you know, which I think is also kind of interesting. And and knowing, you know, going off of the sort of the little pieces that we have about Deborah Pratt during the writing of this episode. And first of all, let me just throw a disclaimer out there: I am not implying in any way, shape, or form that Don Belisario ever behaved in this fashion towards her or anything like that. But because... It, just it going by been, her words, what she said, yeah. Right, it has been um, <clears throat> stated by Deborah Pratt that the, the war of words, in particular between the father and daughter, mirrored a lot of what was going on between she and her husband at the time, Don Belisario. You can't help but wonder if real life informed some of these moments as well in that... At this time in particular, and certainly, you know, all throughout, shamefully, uh, you know, the history of kind of entertainment, I think in order for women to progress, there are often those compromises get, get made. I think the thing that's interested in this particular instance is that the compromise that Sam has to make in order to get them on stage is never, <clears throat> you know, it's never about... Bobby, it's it's always the focus is always still purely on these girls, um, and I think that that is is important to note because, like you said, it would be very easy to make this about you know beating Bobby up, like in Raped, for instance. You know, it ends up becoming about beating this guy up and right. making sure he gets his, and that it's not about that here. What it's about is it's about these girls being able to get on stage and sing, right. and and I think that. That's one of the things that kind of it's better for. And I know that some people reading on the message boards, for instance, uh, on Al's place, didn't like this aspect of the episode. Um, the the episode, I think, got kind of mixed reviews uh, on the message board. Uh, on the MacGyver Project, for what it's worth, he, he really liked it. He thought it was a great episode. Um, so I'm certainly not trying to say that, 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 that the mixed uh, reviews on Al's place are representative of all the reviews or anything. But... Uh, I, I would certainly mark that treatment up as being a, a positive f for this episode. 
Absolutely. And it, yeah, I mean, that's interesting because I, I don't read the message board to get re- reviews on, on things like that. But it is interesting. Like, I could, I could understand uh, just casual viewers turning in. Like, if they just saw the TV guide description or whatever. And, like, you know, if they got pulled in by the sweeps push that was obviously being made for this episode. Right. Like, I can see, like, someone who's just tuning into the episode for the first time or a casual viewer to be disappointed. Sure. In this aspect of it. Yeah. But if you're a Quantum Leap fan, come on. Yeah. We have got to... I mean, love Scott Bakula. We have got to see him sing and dance in plenty of other episodes. Right. He has, he has gotten to show his thing off. Uh, for him to leap into a black trio of singers and for him to take front and center spotlight, it would be a disservice. You know, you just mentioned something, too, that I hadn't even thought about, which I think is also a testament to just how successful the episode is in this particular aspect. But I guess it is worth noting, um, never is it, I mean, it's talked about, I'm not trying to say it's not talked about, but never is it made an issue that, that, you know, we're, we're in an episode that is dominated by black characters, you know, the, the, the only white actors in the episode are Sam and Al. I was going to say, I mean, maybe like some, well, no, no, like not even like background characters. Yeah, everyone in the nightclub watching them in the beginning and, and yeah. towards the end, everyone in the church. I mean, and, and, and that's something else that I think that the episode ends up doing quite successfully. Because, it, and, and that's, I mean, look, I, I think that we have clearly in, in the past, I mean, like Black and White on Fire and Color of Truth and So Help Me God... Uh, what they say in particular about race and 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 and, and certainly um, the relationship between uh, black and white people is incredibly profound, and I think you know three of, of Quantum Leap's finest hours. But to have an episode uh, of this nature where it's just not even about that, you know, it's kind of like um, Pool Hall Blues in that respect. You know, it's not about the fact that Sam's this, uh, this black man, you know what I mean? It's, it's not about that, and I think that that's kind of another uh, kind of thing to put in the wind column for this episode, is that it's not necessarily about that. Um, and also, I think it's interesting, too, that we see, um, we see this, this, this strong, uh, obviously damaged over the death of his wife, but we see this strong black man as, as a single parent um, who's not you know, like struggling financially, who's not, do you know what I mean? Like it would be so easy, I think, to have an episode like this be uh, more about the fact that Linnell is trying to make it big as a singer because she's got to pull her family up or, you know, something like that. And it's not, it's not about that at all. Um, it really, in, and, and that helps to focus the, the story on the relationships between these people, these very real, genuine you know, human relationships and, and people dealing with grief and, and, and aspirations and, 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 and also, you know, this desire to kind of protect those that you love. And, uh, and I think that because of that, you know, th- those aspects of the episode are incredibly successful. Absolutely. I concur. <laughs> I agree. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, I kind of alluded to this, but the ending the ending does fall a little flat for me. Um, now before I, before, before I get there, I do want to mention the, the conversation between Sam and the Reverend, um, at the church. I, I, I think that it's very well done. I think it's fascinating the way that Reverend Walters treats Cherie, uh, because he shows her a kind of 
respect and almost equality in a way like sure. the way that he treats her that he does not show his own daughter mm-hmm. um, you know even in one of the earlier scenes when Cherie is there it's almost like he expects Cherie to be the one to take care but but it's but it's worth noting that Cherie's only 16 years old too yeah yeah I hadn't thought about that I, I feel like and I don't know how to articulate it I think Parents unfortunately do that sometimes. Yep. Like it's it, just like you're too close to your own child. You infantilize. Uh, I never say that word. Uh, infant infantilize them. There we go. Close enough. Um, you make them like you 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 baby them too much. You want to be overprotective of them too much. Um, and and also maybe it's a thing. It, it's a product of like we don't know what Cherie's backstory is. Right. Um, she never goes home during the course of the leap. We don't know what it is. Like, maybe it's just like Cherie grew. Maybe she's just a little more grown up just by the nature of what her childhood was of sure. not having parental figures around. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it is. It's a great scene. And on a technical level, it's just uh, it, it's Sam being the conduit. For for the reverend to be able to tell the audience what he's thinking. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's nice because it's like you know I mentioned earlier. It starts off as that as that sort of that monologue, um, and 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 I think that when Sam does kind of interrupt the the proceedings, it does it gives it gives the Reverend uh, even a you know a bit more motivation to, yeah. to tell that story. Um. Oh, <laughs> sorry. One other quick tangent before we get to the the, the end of the episode. Uh, there were a couple of sort of fun bits that happen a little early on uh, after Bobby Lee drops off the record and leaves scuzzball that he is. Uh, Al, of course, knows how to dance. Yeah. Um, and he is going to teach Sam the moves to teach to the other girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a training montage. Yes. Uh, which is which is really just quite wonderful. You don't very um, often get training montages in Quantum Leap. Right, uh, and it, it, it also the training montage gives birth to a line that is is quite amusing because also uh, Takea in an interview mentioned uh, something very similar to what her character Paula says. Damn, Cherie, you moving like a white girl. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And she even said in an interview, uh, and I think this was a contemporary interview actually, back from ninety one or ninety two, uh, about the fact that Scott was you know so wonderful and, and could sing and could dance and do all these things, but that there were some moments when you know it was it was very clear that he was a little out of step with with them. Um, oh, actually, yeah. So it was it was you know obviously a, a fun a fun little moment. Uh, um, yeah, Jeff, yeah. I mean, yeah. The 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 montage is great. Al uh, is great. Um, not comedy relief, but levity in the episode. His outfits in this episode. <laughs> my my hats off. My hats off to Jean Pierre. And his his uh, actually his lilac uh, shirt and the purple suit at the end, like the mm-hmm. like the gray purple jacket. That is one of his more tasteful, outlandish right. suits. <laughs> You could yeah. almost you could almost pass that off. Every day, yeah, I don't know. I, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. Yes, um, 
But let's talk the, about uh, this ending because this ending doesn't do it for you. It does it for well, me. Well, you know what? Actually, you know, now that you've mentioned Al, that brought me back to one other thing that I'm surprised that you and I haven't talked about, uh, just because it was something that I know that both of us wanted to bring up. But Al also confirms the importance of uh, something that Bobby Lee says when he talks about the competition, that if they win the contest, they get a chance to perform at the Regal Theater. Mm -hmm. And Al, of course, tells us that the Regal Theater is like Chicago's version of the Apollo. Everyone who's anyone has performed there. He name-checks like James Brown, Martha and the Vandellas, uh, you know, a few other names. But it's important to know that the club opened in 1928, and as such, hosted, you know, a, a litany of names um, going back to the 30s and 40s before, you know, kind of turning more into, like, soul and, 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 and rhythm and blues and, and more popular uh, music of the time. And so, you know, folks like Ella Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong, Cab Calloway, Nat King Cole, uh, all performed there uh, quite frequently. Um, of course, someone who is, is, is just a huge influence for me and someone who I, I love dearly, Sam Cooke, um, who was mm -hmm. was basically from Chicago. Um, he, he moved here in, in the early 30s when he was a young boy uh, from Mississippi, uh, and Sam Cooke, of course, performed there as well. Jackie Wilson's The Supremes, Temptations, you, you know, the list just goes on and on and on and on. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was a, a Southside establishment. Mm -hmm. That it was. Long before our time. That's true. Yes, unfortunately, it closed down in 1970. It was demolished in 1973, um, but it was located in sort of in the Bronzeville uh, neighborhood uh, mm -hmm. at 47th and Grand Boulevard, um, and it's now the site of the Harold Washington Cultural Center. Yeah. Ah, uh, I did not know that. Yeah. Makes sense. Fantastic. So let's talk about this ending. This ending doesn't do it for you. It does it for me. Why does it not do it for you? So... I just think that it. I, I it feel you know as much as there are things that are left up in the air that certainly seem to bother some people. You know we don't know if she gets the Decca recording contract. We don't know for sure if she ends up with you know going with Bobby Lee anywhere or anything. I mean I think we can be pretty damn sure that that's not the case. But I did notice a few people saying that on the message board, so I felt like it's worth just kind of throwing out there that we don't get the confirmation. You know we don't get the post game wrap up from Al, uh, if you will, uh, which is fine. Uh, that doesn't bother me at all. I just think the scene itself. If not for Harrison Page, and this is not a knock on Tammy Townsend because obviously you know the the singing is 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 wonderful and she does a great job. Does it just for some reason doesn't play? I almost wish we would have seen Tammy making the decision to go to see her father. I would rather have seen that than mm -hmm. have seen this sort of, you know, download from the Reverend or whatever, because I feel like that to me would have been a little bit more powerful and that would have been a little bit more engaging for me than just seeing her just show up and start singing this song to her dad and tears being shed and, you know, hugs and they're going to be okay now. Um, it, it, it just, I felt like it could have used a little bit more finesse and if it would have had, you know, another three days of writing, it probably would have gotten there. <laughs> I gotcha. Um, I, 
I don't it it works for me. I didn't need to see her make the decision. Okay. I think it's just because to me the previous scene and I don't think I picked this up on previous feelings it's just I think what wins Lionel over is just the fact that her dad stayed and watched through the entire performance and that's all she wanted mm-hmm. was to be seen yeah because she sees him leave immediately after so she knows that he stayed there and watched the entire thing Right. And it's, um, yeah, it, it works for me. If there's anything that doesn't work for me about the scene, to be honest, it's the fact that Sam and Al are there and I don't think they need to be, but also at the same time, it would have been really weird for Sam and Al to just be standing Outside of the church, right? right, right <laughs> While right, this is right. happening, like they are the conduits for us to to see this scene unfolding. Well, um, you know what? And again, I, I'm not trying to you know compare things too much, but it's funny you say that because in comparison to Thou Shalt Not, Sam does walk away when the family comes together. Like Sam kind of gives the push to his brother you know, to talk to his daughter and and wife and everything while they're at the cemetery. It's like, you know, you lost one child, you don't have to lose another, that sort of thing. But Sam does give them that moment, you you know, to where we we do sort of, we're from a distance watching it as opposed to being up close. Whereas in this case, yeah, we are kind of in their face. Sure. I mean, there becomes a moment, like if Sam would have moved, it would have just been awkward and he would have ruined the moment. Well... Sure. You know yes. what I mean? It would yeah, just be yeah, like, yeah. I'm just, well, well this is awkward. Just, just I'm shuffling just gonna, it. Don't I'm, mind me. <laughs> I'm just, oh, oh gosh, look at, gosh, look at the time. Yeah. I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just uh, gonna. That actually would have been really funny. I'm yeah. just, can you just, you're, you're, do, you're doing beautiful, I know. Beautiful, lovely. I have to use the little girl's room. Just, right. You know. Or if you would have brought in a couple of harmonies while she was singing, you know. That. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been, yes. Uh, um, uh, but, to, but, but to wrap it up and talk about the thing that maybe most, uh, it seems like a lot of fans were disappointed in, we do get the one performance of uh, Heat Wave, like the one mm-hmm. full performance. Uh, we get to see Sam do his thing as a right. background as a background singer. Um, to me, if there's any... Uh, if there's any writing fudgery that I have a gripe with, it's uh, this ultimately small time music club operator in Chicago somehow getting a preview copy of Heatwave. <laughs> like to me that just seemed like a writing conceit because Heatwave hadn't come out yet but they really wanted to use it so they just yeah. you know right, right, right. you know uh, but yeah yeah, um, it, it's Stranger Things, man. I'll tell you what. Like, uh, so there's this wonderful um, record label, archival record label in Chicago that exists called Numero Group. Okay. And uh, they uh, really branched out to cover all sorts of musical styles. But their first few releases were focused on like Chicago soul uh, and R and B. And uh, I have I have a few of their releases, and their liner notes are extensive, and, and really just give you a wonderful, um, in depth look 
at the the original producers of some of these these records uh, and some of the stories behind some of these folks, man. It's like it's like wow. At one time, you know, this guy could have you know stood on the verge of basically just running the whole show out of the, the back room of this you know, weird house that might have been a brothel that, you know, almost like paralleling Bobby Lee in a way, uh, and, and then ended up dying like penniless and alone sort of stories, you know, uh, but had access to all of these artists. And, and, and so I, I could almost, I could almost, I could almost see Bobby Lee being able to get his hands on something like that. I don't know. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I will, you know, I will say Dennis that, that in talking about the episode and in what you were saying that I feel like I'm still not a hundred percent sold on that ending, but but maybe I've come around a little bit more on it. I don't know. Fair enough. It's I mean like it's uh, it's not a normal episode of Quantum Leap because usually we get a nice little pat ending with right. Al telling us what happens, and and we don't know. We and don't. Like we don't. Uh, Instead, Sam leaps out and he's in an airplane. Then he's in an airplane. Uh, drops a cigarette in his lap. Plane starts going down. And uh, next next week we are in the Bermuda Triangle. Oh my God! <laughs> I got it. <laughs> no, no. no. Uh, I, you know, I, funny funny story. I actually have a fairly vivid uh, memory uh, of, of watching this episode when it originally aired. Uh, the uh, go- Ghost Ship, not not. Uh, uh, a song for the soul. Yeah. Um, the thing is like, I haven't watched this episode in over 15 years, but watching the episode last night, I realized that at some point in my childhood, this was an episode that I watched repeatedly because, oh, because the dialogue of the episode was just coming back to me like really easily. And I realized, yeah, at some point maybe it was the, it was the, the singing aspect. Uh, there was just enough singing in the episode to do it for me. I don't know what it was, but sure. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I feel like I remember the TV Guide ad for the episode more than I more remember the episode. Sure. To be honest with you, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> but I but I definitely remember Ghost Ship. So I'm 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 looking forward to. Uh, uh, I'm looking forward. That was such uh, the Bermuda Triangle was kind of having like this uh, pop culture renaissance at the time that episode aired. I feel like yeah. Oh, yeah. so it was all the rage. So it made sense that we're going to get a nice and it's a nice little uh, bottle episode. Yep, and that. Uh, you know, fourth season, budget was a little bit cut. Not as cut as the fifth season. Well, <laughs> they were, you know, they were doing the best they could they with were, what they had. You know, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were doing their, they were doing their things. Yeah. 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 Well, we are, uh, you know, slowly but surely, painfully slow, if you ask me. I, I, I wish that we had just a little bit more free time so that we could get back on the horse like we had been. But uh, we are... are Slowly but surely making our way through season four. We're two-thirds of the way uh, through. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to it. We've got some interesting, interesting episodes coming up. <laughs> we do, yeah. And hopefully, yeah, we can get into a more uh, regular groove now that I have moved more settled in now. Uh, have a dedicated office in the new place, whereas the old place, I was we were, uh, I was recording in, my, uh, in our bedroom. So... Uh, so hopefully, we'll have a little bit better set up and we can start diving back, diving back more in, uh, more in there. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to give a shout out to Jason Bremer. Uh, he is the founder and admin of Quantum Leap Fans. Uh, that group has blown up. I don't know how much you follow 
the group or not, but it recently reached over a thousand fans. Nice over there. Uh, so yeah, a lot of good posts, a lot of good discussions. There was one recently. Somebody asked, like, what's your favorite? What's your favorite season? What's your least favorite season? Uh, by and large, everybody's least favorite season is uh, season five. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and a lot of people, uh, second is season one, which I'm kind of surprised by. But uh, I, you know, I would actually, I would actually agree with that though. If I had to, well, I don't know. Maybe I'd throw four. I think if I had to rank them from from least to best, I would probably go five, four, one, two, three. I think I think three is probably the, the strongest. Maybe two. Maybe uh, two mine is stronger. Is, mine is the same. Uh, mine is going from strongest to least. Uh, two, three, one, four, five. Yeah, see, I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you because it's. I, I think I can't decide if it's two or three. You know, by virtue of Lee Poem Part One and Two, three gets a huge bump up. But then yes. two, I think two, I think two might actually be the overall stronger season. I think so. Like if I had to sit someone down and just say, just watch one season to get a flavor of what this show is, it would be season two. Yeah, season two plus Lee Poem Part One and Two. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you on that. But yeah, I'm with you. But yeah, uh, I don't know if uh, Jason uh, listens. But yeah, shout out to Jason for uh, for yeah. For, I will say if I you know it, it, five does get uh, a bit of a disservice, and and the reason why is because I, I do think that Lee Harvey Oswald is interesting. I think Deliver Us from Evil trilogy, Return of the Evil Leaper, Revenge of the Evil Leaper are, are all. You know, they're kind of like those episodes that push the envelope a bit of what Quantum Leap was and could be. Um, I think that, you know, yeah, they they might be a little gimmicky, um, but they're not nearly as gimmicky as, you know, Goodbye Norma Jean or Memphis Melody. So, I think it's really Mirror Image, man, Mirror Image is pretty fucking great, so. Yeah. The thing is, it's like, I I feel like had the series gone on to a sixth and, and seventh season we wouldn't look back and remember like the evil leaper and all that as being super gimmicky. But in right. hindsight, knowing that it was the final season, it's very easy to paint the final season as gimmicky and desperate. And let's just throw everything to see what sticks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but we're, man, we're, I mean, season five has also got starlight star bright, which is a good episode. It I, is. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. we're going to get That's there. a discussion for another time. <laughs> yes. But we're gonna. Uh, uh, but yes, I'm gonna wrap up here. Speaking of uh, uh, other time, other things, I have uh, in the move. I pulled my Quantum Leap novels back up. I am currently reading uh, Double or Nothing. That's the oh, episode nice. where Sam, that's the episode where Sam leaps into twins. Um, so yeah. I'm working on I'm working on that one right now. But uh, but nice. yeah. But for now, we're gonna get out of here. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe next week. Hopefully next week. Let's shoot for next week. Next week or two weeks. Uh, hopefully we will be back in your ears talking about Ghost Ship. Indeed. Thank you, everyone, so much. Take care of yourselves and each other. We're going to leap out of here. Dennis, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. See you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, Don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time.
and time I want to stay in 